It's all going in. It's okay. all going in. Actually, give me 45 seconds. I'm just going to fill up my coffee. Even better. All right. So 45 seconds to introduce this podcast. Uh, myself, 10 years in motocross media. The very first Big MX Radio episode came out, I believe, February 5th, 2014. And here we are in 2024. Um, of course, this, this would be two days late, uh, three days, uh, yeah, two days late now, uh, February 7th, Wednesday. Um, it feels like just yesterday I was showing up to Chris's house to record this as a very, very first podcast. It was recorded into a, uh, a, what was it called? The, the blue snowball. I think we actually used a record player. Or an eight track. It could have been. I think, track. yeah, it was, yeah. was real to real. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, then you ended up actually breaking out your Edison, uh, sound machine, like the sound recording, the, 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 um, recording, like the, yeah, the megaphone looking thing. Oh, yeah, I, think that, I think that worked really well. Yeah. No. And then somehow we were able to take that recording, um, and put that out onto, uh, iTunes as well as Spotify. That's where it currently lives as well as bigmxradio.com, which to this day continues to basically be a barren wasteland of just where podcasts end up. So it doesn't really have anything else aside from that. So if you're, if you're into listening to the podcast, you're really big on bigmxradio.com. Uh, aside from that, there isn't a whole lot there for you. Um, but, uh, yeah, this, uh, Chris, this is episode 900. And 92 of Big MX Radio. It's also the 10 year anniversary. You were my first guest. You were like, you, you popped the cherry, uh, on this whole deal. And you're also on like the first five or six episodes, just sort of co-hosting and being my little Sherpa of sort of getting me some cool guests. Uh, you hooked me up with, uh, Chris Foster and, um, like fostered the relationship that I can currently still, uh, have with, Josh Penner, um, because he's for the most part misunderstood and quite a quiet guy. So he doesn't really reach out. So you bridged that gap as well as, uh, the one, the only Lee Stewart. This is the whole thing. And, and once, you, once, you crack the, once you crack the Josh Penner shell, it just gets better and better and better. It is. There's the gooey center that, uh, those who are willing to kind of like wade through the bushes and get to where, uh, he lives out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, you can not only ride the scary jumps that are at his track, but then you can also, uh, enjoy the, the friendship that him and I currently share. So, uh, it's all that and more. True. No. And sickest house ever. Yeah. No, it is. I, I don't know. You're like, no, no, you guys no. have a sick way. house. Your setup is quite nice though, in the fact that your, your garage is essentially the, the floor plan of the upstairs of your house because you did it Lego style with, house on top of garage true but i don't have a full fucking freezer room to skin animals in my basement that's true uh he has you there and i don't think you actually have a basement as i know it's just a concrete pad um that the house is built off of but uh yeah aside from um the structural integrity of your house that we could talk about (laughs) um uh, 204 skate shop is celebrating uh it's gotta be 2014, we were celebrating 
13 years. Are we coming up on a quarter century? 24 this year, yeah. Because you got hurt. Uh, the people who aren't going to go to the trouble of listening to that very first episode, although I would still stand by it. That was a not bad episode uh whatsoever we we dug through some stuff um you and i kind of clicked right away we have i've known you since i was like 11 years old so that kind of makes sense um it was an injury that got you started with the business that you're currently sitting in right now 204 skate shop here in south uh, manitoba well it was it was a little bit of and I, I sent away for the business license but i was still racing at the time um i was kind of a ironic you know the way the world turns um i broke my back on sunday um you know, that was the start of a nine-month stint in the hospital stay. But that Monday was when the business license showed up. So it kind of was like a bit of a decision-making point where it's like, are you still going to do it or what are you going to do? And, yeah, just full speed ahead. Yeah. No, also, you, you, you went all in. Looking at it back as a cripple in a wheelchair, I didn't really have as many uh, job offers at that point. So I kind of had to make one for myself. Um, I believe that's referred to as a zero option mentality, and w- which I think was kind of what you had to have at that point. Uh, pretty neat. And yeah, you sort of just bootstrapped it. Uh, not not totally unlike how I've sort of made my way within this industry, uh, bash, bashing my head against the wall uh, a little bit longer than you ended up having to bash your head against the wall. I want to say that uh, at that time, I think it was called Snowboard Canada, but what would eventually become... Uh, 204 skate shop. I wouldn't call it an overnight success, but I think you did have some support fairly quickly because you just had an awesome store and, and cool vibe and something that people were, were thirsty for, especially like action sports at that time, which was what you're sort of like, that was your, your focus, uh, was kind mm-hmm. of booming at the time, right? Yes, it was like, uh, so yeah, in 2000, that was kind of right in that sweet spot. Um, but also I think my age, because I was like 18, 19 when I started it. So being young, having that youthful energy and don't give a fuck attitude, it kind of, you know, then everyone kind of with that attitude helped. And the fact that I lived there, so I had essentially an 18-year-old with a house and a store. It was half hangout spot and store, so it kind of did complemented itself. Right. And and when you say half hangout spot, it was... 98% 98% 98% high on spot because um my first beer my first bong rip my first um I don't even want to admit this but I think got touched below the waist yeah no like that that the uh, the couch um in the basement was uh Chris it, I didn't christen it I didn't christen it but it was it it was the um the, the a place for as a for a first for of mine let's just say that um at, i think i was like skiing competitively from the ages of 12 to 13 i don't think it was i don't think i was 12 at the time but it was probably in around 14 15 years old yeah so for some reason that couch was just permanently damp yeah no i, I can't get, really get to the bottom of it we don't have to go through the details right here right now um, but yeah, the, a lot of good times were had and it's been a successful business for you. Like you're, it's funny cause you're, you're, you're a, a guy who likes to have a good time, but you're as serious as a heart attack when it comes to business. Um, you, you understand the logistics of it. Uh, you're a marketing guy and, um, not to dive totally like left field on this thing, but it's my podcast. Yeah. I'll do what I want. Uh, you were the source of like pretty much every rail jam, 
uh, skiing slash snowboarding contest that I ever competed in at Spring Hill in throughout the mid to late 2000s. Uh, it was a, it was a place to see and be seen. It was good. Yeah, it did. Again, and again, I think a lot of that has to go with that youthful energy again, because, yeah. uh, now at 43, you know, I just don't have that fucking energy on the weekends to get up at five and head to Spring Hill and shovel and set them up. Like we still do the events, but we used to do them like one or two a month, whether it was, uh, back in the moto days of like freestyle competitions before those were even a, a big thing, right? Like yeah. I think I did that for five years, every race, drive yeah. up to the races, oh, throw the yeah. thing and announced it. And like, I totally forgot about that until now, but then, yeah, like, and then all the snowboard and skateboard competitions, but it, and it was kind of cool. Like thinking back now, the, the, the sports have changed. Like it went from, call it grassroots, call it whatever you want, but it used to be more just put on an event, the right people will show up and it'll be rad no matter what. But yeah. then now there just has to be so much more going into it. I don't know if it's higher expectations because there's been so many over the years that have kind of yeah. grown and developed. We're now like that kind of redneck wing it and figure it out on the fly mentality just doesn't cut it anymore. But also it is in like social media allows a lot more people to know. Like if, if I was doing something this weekend, I could post it today and, you know, get the word out. But back yeah. then, like it was, I remember driving to fucking gas stations and putting up posters, yeah. right? Like nobody would look at that. And if anything, kids would just feel it because it had probably Josh Penner doing a trick on it. And yeah. then, you know, now it's in their bedroom, didn't really do the job. But yeah, it's, uh, there has been so much of that stuff and it, and it almost sucks that it is harder to do, but also with um, sponsorship budgets are smaller, like getting product from people is like squeezing a rock, but, yeah. but I get it. The world, it's a tougher place now. Everything's different, but I think it is going to come around again. Yeah. It's actually so funny. I, I watched a, a recent uh, documentary on YouTube that was basically highlighting the, uh, the and one mixtape. And yeah, like they made that. that thing pop and like mm-hmm. was huge in like 1995. Like, and I'm, yeah. like me as a marketing guy, I'm like, okay, what would they have had to do to get those people to show up? We're talking radio ads. We're talking literally like just flyers being handed out, like so much legwork that like, honestly, like you say, if, if we were to do a rail jam uh, this Saturday at Spring Hill, um, even with like a carefully executed social media campaign, you get 25 people standing at the bottom of the hill and like six people enter. And then yeah. in, in 2002, you'd have you, Nick Van Seglin and like four other guys, uh, yeah. just like mixing it up. There would be like the be Red Bull girls. There'd be 25 people competing in front of 200 people based off of nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think it, it, there's, I don't know what's going on then. Yeah, was just, so there wasn't anything to do, so people just showed up. Video games weren't as fun. Was many streaming services and porn sites accessible easily? So everything, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's more then. out there these days. Yeah, no, the the uh, the attention spread rather thin these days. But um, honestly, I, I got I got to thank you for sort of helping me sort of launch this whole thing and and giving me that sort of the direction of how to go about it um, and and to continue at it. Like essentially from the very beginning, you told me two things, be consistent Uh-oh. 
and, and, and keep swinging the axe. And that's sort of been the linchpin to success with my, with me is that like, um, whether people were listening or not, episodes came out. Um, and eventually it's like, like two people becomes four, four people becomes eight, uh, like eight people becomes 150. Um, and now, now we have, uh, a, a number, like several thousand people who download and get this thing uploaded to their phone every single week. Um, and like I said, right off the hop, this will be episode 992. Um, That's like, insane. it's, yeah, it's, it's been a journey and it took maybe uh, a better part of nine years for, uh, someone like the good people over at Verb Moto to sort of acknowledge and, and recognize that. And, uh, I honestly probably would have done myself a favor by reaching out to them sooner because I literally emailed Verb and was like, Hey, I want to do podcasts for you, uh, about a year ago, actually. And the answer was, yeah, sure. Why not? So. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, maybe should have sent that a little bit earlier, but uh, it's been fun along the way, man. Honestly, I think to this day, one of my favorite episodes we did, which we had to cut a lot out of it, was the Lee Stewart oh, episode. We... Oh, fuck. I was going back to Antignat. Oh, fuck. The end. Oh, yeah. That almost, we almost got, that was like, no, that didn't. was we almost, to, we the, that, that was like, we, we went out like this and almost crashed down because he said, he put, like, he said some things he probably shouldn't have. He was swearing. Yeah. He was in the moment. I was actually sitting in, I was working at Classic 107 at the time. And I was working late because the internet was out at my house because I was like too broke to pay bills. And I was sitting in my boss's office recording that. Because didn't we have to do the whole thing twice? Yeah. That also true. Yes. And I remember the feeling of the second one. Was just like this is lame. The last one was so much. Well, more we fun. tried to recreate the same conversation, like as if and we tried to do happen. the last fifteen minutes again, like but and, yeah, yeah. from memory. No, I remember that. That was a good one, yeah, Lee. But I mean, that's always gonna be a little R-rated. Yeah, um, there was a lot of Alessi, out of pocket things he said. The Alessi one was kind of random. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but no, those were fun. Yeah. And like, uh, yeah, same thing with Foster, uh, like, uh, Pat Foster, not Pat Foster. Oh, rest in peace. Chris Foster. Uh, Chris Foster. Uh, I think if I'm not mistaken, he may have been, uh, inebriated at the time. Which Obviously. Is, yeah. Which is fine. I also, I think I did also, uh, I did a podcast. I, I know he was, he admitted that he was high when he, when I had, uh, Brandon Mays, otherwise, otherwise known as B Maisie on the podcast. And, uh, yeah. Um, at some point, I, I don't think he realized he was on a podcast. I think he, he was out on cloud nine as you, as, as it were, but, uh, no, it's, it's been, dude, it's been so much fun. And also seeing your business continue to, to flourish. And you've had a lot of the same guys work there since like 1993 or like, you know, that's, that's like 10 years before you started, but yeah. Like that's funny. Well, Jesse's been here for yeah over 15 years. James is coming up on 10. Yeah. Random, and one of my old employees, Todd, sitting across from me here. I'm printing some shirts for him, but he's uh, remembering some of these things from the old shop. And but yeah, it is it is true. Like uh, definitely not a high turnover. Once you're here, it's kind of stuck, I guess. I don't know. But yeah, no, we have great crew, and I mean, without them, it would be nothing, right? Like you can't, yeah, can't do it on their own. You work with, and one of the cool things about your business is you've expanded it is you also like sort of branch that out onto the screen printing business. Uh, I'm sure every asshole and their dog wants you to make them a t-shirt. And eventually you were like, yeah, I can actually do that. Um, tell me a little bit about how that sort of like 
like become a bigger and bigger part of your business and uh and why maybe some people should hit you up to do some of that for them well it's um our shop gear like our 204 skate shop clothes it clothing it's always been like one of our biggest if not our biggest brand so to kind of double down on that and um this was pre-covid before the world shit itself and you couldn't get anything right. um but i'll get to that but uh so being able to produce my own gear as quick as possible, quicker turnaround, um, and cut out the middleman. Like I had a couple of printers that I sent them the order, sent them the designs, and it just showed up fucked up. And then I lose my shit, start throwing stuff around and get mad and say, fuck this, I'm doing it myself. Right. And, uh, huge learning curve. Like it's like anything in life. You think it's going to be no problem and easy. And then as you learn more, you realize, so hard now six years seven years in it's like no no no. there's still a ton to learn right but essentially it was to supplement the shop gear quicker and then through covid it actually we got to double down on it because all of our suppliers warehouses are empty and we're still being able to pump out fresh gear all the time and then the back end of it is like everything in this industry is ordered call it six nine months ahead of time and um I get to look at all the catalogs. If I like something, I'll make it. You know, everything, <laughs> there's straight up stealing ideas, and then there's the borrowing, and then there's inspiration, let's call it. So any sure. fucking combination of those three, it's just, uh, you know, getting all the catalogs, having all the brands in the store, it's a constant inspiration factory. Like, it's like, oh, that's cool. We'll put our little twist on it, and tomorrow it could be on the shelf. Yeah, that that's that's the entrepreneurial mindset is like taking taking the idea, how can I make it better? How can I improve on it? And also you're essentially just using other brands to help you brainstorm for your own ideas. And I think that's pretty solid. Um I, it's but funny because I, I now work for Verb, which I refer to Verb as like us as a publication are like a local skate shop. There is always going to be a new crop of 13, 14, 15 year olds who uh, just got their first job and they want to like roll into their, the local skate shop. Like you almost like you never age out. Like there's guys like me who still roll into your shop on a regular basis uh, and spend, spend some money, but there's always a new crop of kids that uh, just started working at, at uh, McDonald's that uh, they got, they got a hundred bucks burning a hole in their pocket. It, it is true. And it's almost um, now that I've been doing this for so long, like there's some, third generation like i was gonna say their kids are coming in like their grandkids coming in here you know maybe they're a little young at the time but like there's a lot of people's kids but even a couple second gen third gen but yeah it is true but my the customer is kind of aging with the shop which is kind of nice like Mm -hmm. the the brands that we carry day one have definitely changed now and like as fuck as you get older and you evolve like kind of more on the camping outdoor gear, like the Yetis and stuff like that that we carry right. now, that wouldn't have had a place in the store 15 years ago. It just right. would have been like, well, also it probably wasn't an item back then, but you, you got to kind of evolve with your customer and our original customers are still coming here, but they're into different stuff now. Like, yeah. you know, the guys that use this skate every day, their ankles and knees are showing it and they can't do yeah. like, you know, Raise your hand if you can still do all the stuff you used to do when you were cool. No, nobody's hand is raised right now. Dude, I and, went on a I ski mean, trip and I, I, I was like, I, I might, I like, I haven't tried, I haven't done a backflip in probably like five years. 
I'm like, by the end of the trip, I should be feeling like comfortable enough to to go back over top again. And I'm like, the last day, I'm like, ain't happening. No, and I, not, I used yeah, to yeah. walk through backflips. Like, but that's the thing. It's you got to know know your role, know where you're at. And same like back uh, this year at Zoda Track, fucking highly remembered that you know you you run out of talent pretty quick fourth gear in a 125 and it hurts now yeah, right oh, like it, does. it takes my thumb still fucked i can't even move it right like it's yeah. uh, the, the little injuries add up the older you get and uh, and then i think there's kind of that mental not block but your brain's like man do you really want to do this because uh last time you did this it hurt yeah and it's just like that like when you're young like you're, if you're rusty, you haven't, like you say, you hadn't been on a snowboard, you haven't been riding in like say a month, uh, six months, like by the end of the day, you're almost back to where you were the year prior. Um, I think like, it's like, there should be like a, a, a like a, a vet riders t-shirt is like perma rust. Is that like, yes. it just, even if you like, you can, you can shine it up as nice as you can you want. And there, it's just like those, in, those commercials where there's always like a little bit hint of like plaque on the teeth or something like that. Uh, it's the same, same idea. There's always a little bit of rust left over, no matter how much riding or how comfortable you feel. Uh, yeah, it's just, this is the way it goes. Um, I'm 35 now, uh, still able to do a lot of things, but, uh, I'm not, maybe not as good as, uh, as I once was at just about eight. It's the way it goes. But, uh, yeah, so you were at, you weren't at the first Supercross I ever went to, but 2014, we made a plan to go to Vegas. It was yes. Ryan Villapoto's last ever Supercross. He led the last 20 laps or last 80 laps of his pro career in North America. He won every national or every Supercross going out. The last four races uh, led every single lap. We actually walked out of there at lap 10 because the uh, the after party with along with Riley over at uh, RMC, uh, we needed to leave. And uh, yeah, so we didn't actually see... Uh, Villapoto finish off that race or any other supercross for that matter. I barely remember that. I was probably shit faced. Yeah, no, like we like the you told me that if we leave now, we can get a cab. And oh yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, no, you want you don't want to wait till the checkered flag to get out of that place. Yeah, and especially everyone is going to Circle Bar after, if I remember yeah. right. And then uh, yeah, so I probably just had no attention span last. I was just blocked out and wanted to get the fuck out. But yeah, no, but that is a good move because yeah, wait till the end of the Supercross. You're never getting out of there, especially at old Sam Boyd Stadium. Yeah, no, and we were gypsying around. Like we weren't, we weren't. Uh, I don't think we even got a rental car. We were just like cabbing around and doing our whole thing and and whatnot. Uh, yeah, I think I uh, we ended up going to uh, a lovely establishment known as the Glitter Gulch that particular night um, after the Circle Bar, which was probably later than it should have been. Um, but yeah, it, it is what it is. That was my entrance to like, I don't think I didn't have a, a media pass at the time, but remember, uh, Enticnap got me a wristband and he like snuck it to me. Like he like came out and like kind of like backhandedly here, you can come in. Yeah. 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 I remember that now. Cause yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's slowly coming back. Yeah, it's all coming back together. Um, so what's, uh, what else is new in, uh, the world of, uh, 204 skate shop slash Chris Mellon? <laughs> Uh, you, you as both of our dirt bikes are getting long in the tooth. Uh, we don't ride nearly enough to like warrant actually replacing them at a decent clip. Um, is there plans for a new bike? Uh, aside from, yeah, you've got your, your Honda that's, is it a 2018? Like 
2020 and then uh and then a O two zero and 25 that i can't stand that bike every time i look at it it costs me money and yeah. time and, yeah but i was thinking of ditching them both for one of those new yz 125s just that retro 50th anniversary look because um my 2017 yz 250 i made look like that like i did a uh that kind of same graphic kit that they did right now so there's kind of a special place in my heart for that but then when it gets down to like electric start and lazy four stroke 250s there's just so many advantages because you know the 125 days might be over you have to ride them so aggressive and every time i ride them my brain thinks i'm 18 again and i'll go really really fast and crash which is fine because it's fun until that but then i don't know i just kind of know your role i guess but I would get a new 125. Um, also, I rode the new Gen Honda 250, and I didn't like it as much. It just felt skinny and weird. But mm. then again, who knows, right? Teach their own. Um, so I think I'm just going to stay on the 2020. It's just such a comfortable bike. Um, Good-looking bike. Yeah. Up. Nothing wrong like, with that thing. No. And, I mean, if it has 40 hours on it, I'd be surprised. So what's the problem? Hundred percent. No, you're you're totally right on that. And uh yeah, no, there's uh have you did you see the the new uh shrouds on the uh the Tim Geiser slash Ruben Fernandez? Um, yeah. Are they, I think why they are they took, throwing it back to like nineteen eighty? It's nineteen eighty one actually. Okay. If you look at the eighty one, that's like the same shit. And it's disgusting. And I don't know, but a lot of times when they change stuff like that, I'll hate it, and then three weeks later I look at it and I'm like Kind of digging it now. So yeah. I'm just going to shut my mouth on that one, give it a couple of months. But yeah, as of right now, it's, that's disgusting. Fair enough. Uh, let's talk well, some super. Do you agree? Like, I, I think. Oh, yeah. No, just, I, just, uh, I, I just, I think it was just a weird move to go to like a really small shroud and that like it just, the, the styling of it is almost like taking you back in time. Uh, mm-hmm. as far as like the layout of, like, I, I don't know, understand how that's better than what they were had before. Um, and, like, it, it, like, cause it was more long and angular before, yeah. and then they made it more boxy, which I, I think was, it has like, to be from stuff like that. Kind of that front edge where it's just like round and then goes straight down. looks so dated. Um, if they kind of like, rather than the eighties go like 93, 96, like kind of where they had those type of shapes. Yeah. If they could have somehow worked that in, I think it would have looked better. But then again, the fuck do we know? Like, we're not Honda designers, and no. I'm sure there's many, many reasons. No, but I do believe, cool. yeah, it's gross. And, you know, I've been a Honda guy forever, and they always generally, I think, are good-looking bikes. Like, you know, <laughs> some are better than others, but that one is the swing and a miss. Yeah, not my favorite. Oh, and especially because, like, the the – Front end seems to be updated as far as plastics go. It's the same front number plate, and then the back end is completely the same as what it was uh, in current generations. Uh, you've yeah, been we're... watching Supercross. You never miss an, uh, yeah. an episode or, or nope. a round or anything quite like that. Um, who do you like right now? Are you are you a, a Jet lover or a hater? Or what's your what's your deal? I think I, I'm gonna. I... I know I know where you're going. Okay, what do you think? I think you're all about the guy. I think you just like when everyone's doing, I... you're you're you go left. You're, you're no, all about it. I appreciate that angle, but I'm just sitting here with a full bucket of popcorn, loving everyone giving too many shits about it. Like, it doesn't matter. Is he 
the way he rides, so I'll put it this way, like on the respect factor, there's some just clips of him that the right people will post. Like, I don't know who they are, but you know, you'll just see it in your feed. And it's like, I'll watch it 17 times. Cause just yeah. what he can do on a bike is just amazing. Like he's so light, the way he just floats through stuff that give every other human being that rides a motorcycle issues. And he just fucking bounces through it. And, you know, there's that end of respect. I think, you know, the whole Anderson thing didn't help much. And being an old guy and like Anderson's a fucking G like that guy, he can do no wrong in my book. Like he's mm-hmm. a fucking legend. So yeah. you can approach a guy like Anderson without being ready to like get it back. Right. And if you go into that battle, if you will, be ready. And he wasn't. And he no. lost horribly. So on that end, it's like, but that's just a kid being a kid, right? Like, if I looked at every stupid thing I've did at 18, 20, 22 years old, you can't judge that. Because, like, that's just life experience or lack of. And yeah. then it's the same. You, you look at Anderson, the way he treated the whole situation. It's like, here's the fact. It is what it is. Who cares? Move on. Like, it doesn't have to be a big deal. But then kind of everyone else is just keeping that going. But, um, you know, I think that whole thing's going to die out now that McAdoo's nutsacked all over the internet. McAdoo. That's going to be the new thing. But, um, um, no, you got to appreciate the kid's talent. Um, he is changing the sport, whether people agree, disagree, or in between, whether it's riding style, marketing, anything. And I mean, it's not him, it's his team, I'm sure, yeah. as well as him. But, Man, that kid got talent. And I don't think anyone can disagree with that. Yeah, no, the, the thing that like kind of blows my mind about him is that he always looks like he's on a sight lap. Mm-hmm. Like, he literally has like, you know how when like you're like, you're on a sight lap and you're like, you're kind, you're not really going hard, but you're still jumping everything and you kind of have that like upright looking around, like sort of checking things out, riding style. That's how he is full time. And swear to God, like if you just showed me a clip of him riding like 25 minutes in at Millville, you'd be like, oh yeah, no, he's just checking out the track there. Like, no, no, that's full pace. And he's the fastest on track, by the way. Like, yeah. And, and I don't know, like the, the style evolution that has happened with, um, you know, feet on the peg, standing through all the corners is so smart. And I don't understand why it didn't hit earlier than this. But I think that has part to do with it because it looks so much smoother. You know, back in the day, break, break, break hard, sit down, foot out, elbows up, turn, yeah. stand up. Like, the bald head of school wasted, dirt bikes. Yeah. All of that wasted effort, but movement, like, that's the look that you're used to over years. And then now where it's so smooth, where he doesn't do any of that. He just is out of the corner with the same body positioning that he went into it with. And it's so much faster and smoother. So I don't really know what I'm trying to say, but there's something there where easier is faster. And it doesn't seem like that's been the norm. It's always been like, do all of these steps perfectly and it'll be better. Miss one and you're going to make a mistake and it'll cost you time. Where he kind of takes all that over. He's like, I'm just going to do none of that. And then I can't make mistakes. I won't miss steps. And I'm going to save time. Right. And I think what it really comes down to is like, and like a lot of people compare him to Jeremy and early, early Jeremy days and like in throughout the nineties, I totally see it. Cause he was very upright. 
He like yeah. kind of like that whole style. Um, and I think whenever it, who's ever winning, that is the style that it takes to win. Like, you know what I mean? So, and then you had, so you had Carmichael who short stature, bulldog all over the bike. And then you had James Stewart that took the aggression to like, he took, took turned that knob to 11. And then the guy who sort of like took after him was like, in some ways, Dungey, but in more ways, Villapoto. All three yeah. of those guys are a picture of aggression. So True. if that's the blueprint, that's how you get Eli Tomac. And it takes a guy, like the next generation, to do something different to prove otherwise that, yeah, actually, the, there's a better way to do this. What I see with that is, I guess it kind of comes down to just the person. It's, it's style. McGrath had right. style. Everybody wanted to copy him wear his gear, buy his helmet, you know. You guys were earring. teammates. What's that? Yeah, we were teammates, true. Yeah. But um, frosted tips, double earring, that was style that everyone copied. So not only on the bike, I think is what I'm saying, off the bike, everybody wanted to be him as well, right? So now flip the switch to Carmichael. Nobody wanted to look like him off the bike. No. Nobody wanted to look like him on the bike, but he went fast as fuck, so everyone just started training. Right. Yes. Because there was not one or okay, I shouldn't speak like that. Correct me if I'm wrong. Do you think there's any any riding style? Ah, fuck that. No, because like, you can't like he didn't influence anybody. No, nobody like no. rolled their bars into their laps and like cut their it's, seat in half. So whereas McGrath was kind of riding over the front of the bike, like more weight on the front. Where Carmichael, if you were to copy him, it'd be put your legs out, your elbows down, like feet off the pegs and just pin it. Right. So now when we go to Stewart, the scrub changed everything. So that's, so you can see a little bit of Stewart style in every young rider who's trying to scrub. Right. right. You can see a little bit of McGrath. Why, like, you know, that's kind of washed away now, but back in the day, you could like the elbows up over the front end, kind of like work on more backsiding jumps, timing everything perfect. And then Villapoto, he was kind of a uh, Carmichael, wasn't very stylish. But fuck, was he fast? Like he could go so fast through corners that, and nobody could compare with that, and just the aggression. And then now I think with Jet and kind of the Sexton style, like they're similar but different. Yeah, I think that's what every kid wants to copy. Kid, every adult, like Tomac style is changed, like adapted to more that younger feet on the pegs and yeah, like whatever. old dog new tricks. Like if he's doing it, everyone, you know. He's seen the benefits and he has changed. So everyone else I can see, like that's going to be the new riding stuff. Certainly. And honestly, the, the only guy who I can really think of at the pro level that is so far the other way, who's also having a lot of success, although he's coming off of a wrist injury is Deegan, who he's Mr. Climb all over the motorcycle. He's back. He's front. He's hanging off the back of the motorcycle. Um, that he's a very interesting way of, of riding a motorcycle and he's very active on the bike. Like maybe not as active as like a Justin Barsha early in his career, but like yeah. Deegan scrubs things for the sake of scrubbing things. And, and that's that youth energy, I think. Yeah. Um, I'm curious slash interested to see if his style develops and how it develops in the future. Cause like you do all that stuff when you're 18, blow all the energy, never get tired. But yeah. it has to slow down, right? Yeah, I and, think you could do, you can't ride like that on a 450. No, and and so I I want to see how he his style develops. Um, but in my opinion, he just it's his corner speed. 
Like he lays the bike down so much farther, hits the entrance so much harder than everyone that that's the difference. Yeah. So, and, and I think you need that aggression to kind of do that where it's, it's a little bit opposite than the Sexton, Jet Lawrence, smooth bunny hop, the braking bumps, feet on, roll in and accelerate out, right? Like he's just fucking hammering. Yeah, no, exactly. And like, one, here's one of the things I love about, uh, Hayden Deegan, and I think he's a bit of a lightning rod. I think he, he can be a little bit um, polarizing, especially for people like they sort of see him and they like, uh, he has a little bit of a snarky look on his face, or they think he's cocky, they think he's this. Um, here's the difference between uh, Hayden Deegan and every other kid that comes up in moto. And there's a lot of kids who come from some money, but there's not very many kids who come from that kind of support and lifestyle that Hayden Deegan has come from. And he, uh, this is, I mean, th- th- I am as serious as a heart attack when I say he does not need professional motocross to be successful. So he doesn't have to kiss anyone's ass. He doesn't have to, like, he doesn't have to bend to whoever anyone wants him to be. He can be his genuine total self. And if that is the way he is, that's just, you know what I mean? Like, he doesn't need to, like, change who he is to, like, appease people because he doesn't need to appease people. True, but, okay, I, I I don't know if I'm agreeing or disagreeing, but then Eli Tomac. True, but that that's just, like, he has a completely different person. Like, I'm just trying, guys who are just yeah. giving them true, their true self, whether that's, like, being quiet, a hammerhead who wants to work, or or it, it, it obviously a different flavor with, with Hayden, who also puts in the work, because they can both do 35 oh, plus. Yeah. Oh, no, definitely. Plus. But I was just saying because, of, like, John Tomac, you know, the success he's had, I'm sure yeah. their bank account doesn't need any, oh, doesn't need tires, Eli's yeah. influence on it. Yes. But, um, I, um, um, I think what my brain is trying to say is Deegan's attitude and image is a little bit edited for YouTube, for social media, right? Like his dad's yeah. fucking Brian okay. Deegan who developed the persona of the metal militia, right? Mm-hmm. Where like we need that edge. The bad guy wins. The bad guy's cool, right? So just whether he it's on purpose or not, or whether he knows it or not, or knew it or not, or it's or maybe it didn't even happen. But to think that his true persona isn't edited a bit by all these videos, by all the social media, I don't know if you know what I'm saying. Like I don't know if that can be your true person, no matter what. Where Eli is so far out of that, there's no outside influence, right? Absolutely. He's going to be himself shooting deer in a tree stand, wearing whack ass glasses and like no style whatsoever, but doesn't give a shit. I'm Eli. Where I think Deegan's look, mannerisms, everything he says kind of has to be figured out for this younger generation of social media. Right. Watch. Whether it's intentional or unintentional, it's almost exactly. like, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's sort of, yeah. Like if you, if you took away his dad's influence, all the money, all the metal militianess, what would he be? Would like, like just as a human, would he have grown up different? You know, and again, this is just a dumb question, yeah. but like it has to have an influence, like his whole life that he's lived. He's been on YouTube since he's been a child, you yeah, know, he knows no talking with and reading comments and editing the way he changed. Like somebody rips on him at 10 years old. He ain't doing that again. Right. So if if you pick it up where I'm coming from, I think he has had to be developed into this persona that he is today and right or wrong, like it worked. 
but I don't know if it's truly as original a person as say an Eli or someone without all those influences. Right. I think it's like, he's been sort of molded by having that spotlight and having and being so uh, followed. And like, he's had, he's probably had kids like, like grown men stop him in the mall since he was like 10 years old because they follow the Deegans on YouTube. Like that's, that is unlike anybody else. Like that's not like when, uh, Eli Tomac is uh, going to World Cup uh, downhill mountain bike races or uh, being featured in, I think he was in Mini Warriors 4? Like, yeah. Exactly. And, but, and I think the person that would approach even Eli as a kid or him, they're going to approach him differently. Like they're going to yeah. approach him like cool guy, cool guy, where Eli, if Eli was 12, they're still, they're going to shake his hand, right? Like it just, they're a different human. Yeah. Um, but but again, I think he is gonna. That's what the sport almost needs is that influence, that marketability, and that polarizing character. Love him or hate him, he's out there and he's putting moto in non-moto people's feeds. Yeah, people are gonna click on it whether they they love they they're getting pissed off the whole time they watch or if they're just getting jacked up to ride. Um, and either way, those people both have buying power and they're going to spend some time, some money on monster Yamaha P P S D PSD. I don't know, but whatever it is like, yeah, his his logos are out there. To think that he isn't doing a lot of this on purpose would surprise me. Mm -hmm. Like when he was making those Andrew Tate comments, like that was just twisting that knife. Like he was just doing that for the comments, right? Like, like, you know, Again, with that guy, uh, like, you know, love, he's the polarizing character. But why would you even put that in your podium speech unless you wanted to stir shit up? Yeah, no, they, that, that was just like a grenade. You go, oh, yeah, yeah. And I don't even think he threw it. He, like, pulled the pin and held onto it. He's like, let's just see what <laughs> just happens. Drops right? it instead of a yeah, microphone, like, drop his grenade drop. Go? And then it's funny how, it, like, the last one, he brought up Goggins, who's, you know, a little bit of a, more positive influence, I would say, than For the most part, the other guy. But uh, yeah, like all of that has to be a little bit not fabricated, but it's on purpose. Yeah, no, I would like I would totally like. Agree. So, how much money does Toyota Vescondido have to pay to be in everyone's podium seat? Well, that's costing you a brand new Tundra and plus a check every month, right? Yeah. Why would you bring up someone? of those names without getting paid like yeah. in your podium speech like there's no value there other than um controversy right exactly. so that's the value right yeah and he plays the game probably better than anyone right now but i tell you who was playing the game well this last weekend austin forkner uh hell he was yeah. winning supercrosses almost back when we were going to supercross for the first time uh, as a as a d- dynamic duo back in 2014, he's been at this for eight goddamn years. Um, he's now tied for third all time in 125 Supercross wins, uh, and it is the 125 class, by the way. Um, uh, for sure, it is. Yeah, yeah, hundred um, percent. And uh, yeah, he's it, he started so long ago. It was almost always it was almost 125s back then when he when he turned pro. Uh, he's been swinging at it for quite some time, but honestly, I was just pumped to see it because like the guy's been yeah. hurt. And busted up, and this, that, and the other thing. Um, yeah, uh, crashes in the first corner, be damned. Uh, Austin Forkner was the best 250F rider on the night. Yes, uh, the last year, like that 
14 feet of his season that he had. Yeah. That was so sad, but not going to lie, I was pissing myself laughing. Like, just, just the, the, the irony, the poor luck. Like, of course, he, like, that doesn't happen in, it happens in C class. This doesn't happen in yeah. Supercross, right? And just the, the, how hard he hit and how serious the injury was for being 12 feet out of the gate, first race of the year. Like, that's just his luck almost. But it was good to see, like, this might change his luck, whether it's a mental thing or who knows. Like, I think he does kind of seems like he has a better attitude. Um, but I guess it's part of growing up, right? Like, I think he gets it. Like, I'm surprised he's been on PC for this long. But I'm also super curious. I'd be super curious to look at his contract. Not out of anything other than just curiosity. Because I'm sure his – I bet you his first one – Maybe a second was the biggest one because he had to take a hit down and just oh, yeah, do it no, for the good like doing it for the run. Used to be making that's for damn sure. Like, that would be an incentive laden like yes. you're riding for not a whole lot. I wouldn't doubt if last year he had to pay, you know, like pay his <laughs> rent and be like whatever. Just out, but but that doesn't discount the amount of talent and potential that he has. It's just shit luck, and but it seems like there's always someone who has all the pieces of the puzzle but can't put it together. The Robbie Renards, the um, – just – but, like, the people that – Damon Bradshaw, the people that are fast, win a bunch of races, do all the right things, but it's just not in the cards. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, the, the but, Damon Huffman's in the 250 class who came off I was going to say. Yeah, yeah but, but he at least won two 125 titles. Yeah. Which is what would be Forkner's pace, right? So that's – different he won Forkner didn't no yeah exactly uh I I think he's put himself in a really good position uh I know you got a ton of stuff to get to um but uh yeah this has been a lot of fun man I I like to to go back and forth with you I gotta come out uh because uh I need some new kicks um but uh if people aren't haven't already uh checked out the website and uh like I know you you do the screen printing in the whole nine yards uh where can they find more information about 204 skate shop uh, Instagram is usually the best way people get a hold of us. It's uh, at number two, number zero, number four, skate shop. Um, but you're not getting away this easy. I've got a couple of questions for you. Shoot. So as uh, 10 years in, I'm sure uh, Brad has changed as a human in those 10 years. Um, more cynical, I can tell you that much. What would you say the best lesson you've learned from the podcast in the last 10 years? Um. I'd say the best lesson that I've learned is the power of consistency. Um, yep. the, 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 the showing up every day. Cause yeah, like I, I get questions all the time. People sort of like, Hey, like, do you get like stressed out about like, there's like four other podcasts that started this week. And I'm like, every time I'm like, yeah, let them, let me know when they get to a hundred episodes. Let me go let me get the, to 900 episodes. Um, and honestly, like, uh, there's lots of, although it's difficult to get money out of this industry, uh, there's plenty of it to go around. There's plenty of sponsors. And, uh, yeah, there's also some great shows out there that just do a bad job of marketing themselves and they don't generate any money either. Like I've also known yeah. some, some either some bad podcasts and some bad privateers that still find a way to get paid because they're willing to go door knock and, uh, and go to it. So, uh, I, I'd say, uh, two things, consistency and, uh, asking for the sale, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I get you. If uh, if you don't ask, it ain't gonna happen. That's right. 
Um, so, uh, Kay, what was uh, your most surprising guest? Whether it's the fact that you actually got them on the show, something they said, uh, just you thought they were one person and they're a different, right? Like, who who kind of surprised you the most? Ooh. Um, okay, there's a couple over the time that I've been on that, like, I think there's some, I can't remember off the top of my head, but there's been more than a few privateers that I sort of rolled into the conversation being like, okay, this is going to be another privateer podcast where I get like a bunch of like, yeah, man, I'm just trying to like get my program right. And uh, like, we've been, we're, we've been working really hard and we're testing. And then in my back of my head, I'm like, most privateers don't test. They just add stuff to their dirt bike and, and fucking fingers crossed. And like, and then they still go to in and out after the race. But then like, there's been a few that have been actually very pleasantly surprised uh, surprised I was able to get on the phone and it's something I've been able to have more than once. Uh, I've had Johnny O'Mara on twice and I've had Jeff Ward on twice. Both nice. of those were, uh, as far as like big surprises of who I'd be able to get on. That was super special. And, uh, um, I would say of people who are just like good to get to know and chat with Kevin Windham. Yeah. Kevin Windham is one of my favorite people. He, he, like him and I bench raced for about an hour at, at, uh, and same that I'll also say this about Malcolm Stewart. Malcolm Stewart is one of the only, and it's a very short list. And there are, there's a few only professional motocross racers who will ask about you. Yeah. 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 Like these guys are awesome. They, they get asked like most of the conversations I have that they have with anybody are very one sided because people want to know about them, but he's <laughs> actually someone like I, I was chatting with like because obviously uh malcolm was there for loretta's him and i were like we we talked about fishing we talked about like canada we talked about like amateur moto um but he's actually someone who who actually would like kind of like volley that ball back and like kind of go back and forth and ask some questions so i I would say pleasantly surprised with a guy like malcolm stewart okay so then just two more and then yeah i'll I'll let then i'll let you go right um so Kind of to piggyback that, who would be your dream guest that you could get in the next five to ten years of Big MX? Um, honestly, that you haven't got like, on yet. I haven't gotten on yet. Is is Carmichael? Um, yeah, I, I I've a, met a Ricky one. a number of times. That is the that's my white whale. Um, he is the guy that was on my my wall as a kid. He's why I rode Kawasaki's. Uh, he's on your wall as an adult too. I feel like he's also you. yeah. He's on my wall as an adult. Um, yeah, it's Carmichael. Uh, I I the first time I met him, I think I may have scared him off completely because I just like just like like just puked uh, like Ricky knowledge at him. Yeah. For like for a good twenty five seconds, I'm like, you never lost an outdoor title. You you won you won thirty. Uh, 33 out of 35 nationals for uh, for Team Honda, uh, and I always think of you as a Kawasaki rider, even though you've written for other manufacturers. Hi, Rick. He's like, uh, yes, human Wikipedia page. I gotta go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but he is awesome, and I've had an opportunity to chat with him. We've had a beer at uh, the Atlanta Supercross after party, the whole nine yards, uh, but I haven't had him on the podcast. He would be number one and uh, i again have a hard time not just like being the human encyclopedia of ricky knowledge yeah and so then the last one um what would you say your worst interview was be it like maybe maybe the maybe the internet pooped itself the 
interviewer wasn't very good, the interviewee, you know, what, uh, if there was one that's in your mind that you would like to redo, or you're like, fuck, I wish I didn't fuck that up. You know, nobody's um, perfect. I'm not trying to put, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, every, to stick out to mind. Have, just to say, like, you always got to look back in life at your best and your worst, just so the worst will never happen again, right? Uh, to stick out to mind, uh, first one being the, uh, the Michael Lessie interview that I did was like, I think it was like episode like N of Big MX Radio. Yep. And I, I didn't like, first of all, it was a tough interview because Mike's a tough interview. And afterwards I hadn't hung up yet. And I said, man, that was sucked. I was on the phone with that. Yeah. And he had, he was still on the line. Yeah. And I was I'm like, dude, that sucked. And he's like, uh, yeah, still here guys. But, but I think it did like the feeling, like if I remember right, and it's 10 years ago, but like it, it didn't pick up anywhere. Like it didn't pick up steam. It was just like generic talking. And, yeah. and I was like, you know, reaching for stuff and there's no rapport that things, we built with him the whole time. It bummed me out. And again, trying to remember back, I feel like he was almost on edge. Like we were going to be picking at him for something or it almost seemed like that. But again, I couldn't well, be remembering all. It's 2014, so if you remember, 2013 was Lasergate. So he still had his guard up oh, long yeah. after and, that. And I so, think I wanted to ask him about all of that, but it just yeah. didn't happen. No. Th- that was, I think there was a lot of one-word answers. Uh, he wasn't really open. This was even prior to him coming to Canada to do any racing. In fact, that might have been maybe his first summer there or, like, the year before he went to Canada. Um he seemed preoccupied and like, I, I was like, and I was like, like, this was the first big guest that we had at yeah. 800 and yeah. uh, that one went horribly. And then I also like, I, I like, I had put my foot in my mouth for about 40 minutes of the actual interview and then just shoved the rest of my leg down my throat um, when uh, the, the interview was over. And essentially it like, uh, I'm sure he doesn't remember, uh, but yeah, no. just insulted the man. Um shortly after cutting off the conversation that was to be recorded, but uh, still put it out as a podcast. Um, another one that bugged me or that like just a, as a faux pas early in my thing is remember yep. uh, like Enticknap had like a, a woman that would sort of like help fund a lot of things with yep. it. Her name was Wanda. It was Wanda. Yep. And yep. I did an episode with her and it's, it's funny because I still use the same call recorder today that I used then. Um, because I'm a 35 year old bricklayer and new technology is scary. Um, but, uh, I like, is what I would often do is I would not record the beginning of the conversation and then I would hit record right before starting. So her and I did an hour together. And the, the worst part was it was a really fun conversation. We were chatting, we were laughing, we we're doing this, we we're doing that. And I looked at Didn't the, hit record. I, I, I was like, I was hanging things up and I'm looking at like the blinking light. I'm like, there's no fucking way I yep. recorded a sing. Like that was just a fun conversation between the two of us. And, uh, um, yeah, much like the conversation we had with Enticknap, I had to like literally like, she's like, well, what do we do now? I'm like, I don't know. You want to try this tomorrow? She's like, I got time now. And I'm like, yeah. Well, oh I'm next race. And like, oh yeah, it was like from the top and that went horribly because like, like it was like trying to have this conversation again, like yeah. we didn't plan any of this. It's like you, you pick some questions for me, but aside from that, this was not 
premeditated in any way. It's just totally organic. But trying to like remake this uh, off the hip uh, just goes brutal because you're like kind of navigating a timeline within your own mind and just repeating things that you've already said. So you don't have the same emphasis. It's not funny because you've said it the second time. Uh, that was brutal. Um, but, uh, hey, they're all still left up there. The archives are there. Uh, someone wants to go back and listen to that one. They're more than welcome to, but it's not a great one. And, and I bet you, you make sure that that light's blinking out, don't you? Every time. Yeah. That, yeah. uh, yeah. Uh, there's been one other time where I think I either lost some audio or, uh, it was something weird that like, I had the audio on my phone, but I couldn't get it somewhere else. So I had to like figure out how to like record it into a microphone without making any other ambient noises. There's been some janky setups to do podcasts. That was like, I think I did one podcast where I literally had my laptop in the middle of a table with like four people around it to try and like somehow get like equal audio levels. Yeah. I think I did it with like a couple of like notable like supercross guys from like the, uh, Barn Pros Yamaha team and the whole time they're probably like this guy's so fucking janky like literally just like recording into his laptop while it records that was brutal but humble beginnings but hey, you've come a long way yeah no we, we uh, full time at Verb and uh, doing my whole thing going down to World Mini uh, need to get you down for something like that I, I can't believe that we're not getting like yourself and uh penner and somebody else down to the gypsy 500 like you you are a gypsy you're maybe like the original gypsy and yeah it's it's uh march 9th uh, i think i or yeah march 9th so i re- i understand that that's uh uh coming up a lot quicker than it probably should we're only 30 30 days away but yeah yeah i need to start training yeah gypsy 500 i mean just in general catch yeah. Fe- yeah catch fever is is still one of your calves like but this big around, like suit, like oh yeah, tiny. Well, yeah. that's uh, part of the paraplegia. That's uh, that, that's yeah. for life. Yeah, you're you're uh, the world's fastest hat rack. We know this. Um, well, this has been fun, dude. I, I appreciate you coming on the show once again. Uh, you're nine and a half years removed because we, uh, yeah, just uh, not not to say that we ever had like any type of like disagreement or anything like that. It's just like I wanted to do more episodes and. It wasn't making any money, and you're like, oh, I don't have that kind of time, Gebhardt. So, well, exactly, and it's, uh, I mean, yeah. If you need, a, if you need someone, I'm always phone call away. It just depends on if I got 19 other things in line that day. True, and if you do, I usually still make some time for me. So, uh, yeah, this is definitely. No, appreciate it. But no, keep it up, and uh, yeah, I'm here if you need me. Love it.